required viewing. And hello, Shams. It has been a while. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah. I'm laughing because I thought you had this genius. Like, I got this great one line. Yeah, before thing. it started, I was like, let me think of how we start this episode. And then I was like, I got it. And then I was like, welcome to required viewing. <laughs> But yeah, it's been eight months uh, since our last episode. Um, to be fair, we did nine episodes for every se- every episode of Succession Season 3. So uh, our plan for this podcast generally was once a month. So we thought we'd take nine months off after that. So uh, now we're back. It was a busy nine months, I think, for both of us on some personal levels. And then TV, I think. Actually, TV had a very interesting time, not actually in terms of content itself. I mean, there was a couple of shows we didn't... I know we're, we're talking about one show today. We're not talking about, I know, another show, um, Barry, but we can maybe save that for another, uh, another oh, yeah. episode. We probably have a lot to catch up on. I'm sure it'll all come up if we do something for the Emmys. I, I, well, before we get into it, I do want to note that since we last talked, the entire TV business model has basically change due to the financial performances of <laughs> yeah. Netflix and HBO and Disney and whatnot. And I want to state that I believe both of us predicted this exact outcome eventually happening multiple times, that this the entire model that had been created was just not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I forgot. It's been, yeah, it has been within the last nine months that Netflix stock imploded along yeah. with the rest of them as well. Turns out that when you spend a lot of money and 99% of your content isn't good, eventually that catches up to you. Yeah, it's okay, though. We have Apple's Infinite Bank to keep making good content, which they have been this year. Um, But we're not here to talk about that. Um, We're here to talk about really the last bastion of non-streaming service content. Um, AMC, God bless them, uh, just aired the final episode of Better Call Saul. Uh, And Shams, other than, I guess, ranting about um, their snubs at various Emmys over the past, well, literally, I think just in 2020, the last time we actually really talked about Better Call Saul on this podcast was December 2019 as part of our top 10 dramas of the decade. That's 2010 to 2019 decade. Uh, And I just went back and listened to the segment um, before getting on. Um, And so at the time, a couple things. One, I had not seen Better Call Saul, um, so it was just you explaining to the audience why you had the gall to rank it higher than Breaking Bad. Uh, we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Hold on. Um, and secondly, at the time, um, based on what we were saying in the segment, we thought that the final season was set to be airing in 2020. Uh, it turns out that actually there were two more seasons uh, that we did not. We did not know this at the time, but they aired season five in 2020 and this final season, season six, aired in two parts over the past uh, couple months um, of 2022, uh, which is the current year, believe it or not. Um, and so I guess I just want to open with that as, as a retrospective. Oh, and one other thing that's true is uh, it was ranked number three for those who don't remember, including probably us. Um, number four behind it was Breaking Bad. Um I think Succession was number five. This was when uh, only two seasons of Succession were eligible to talk about in the decade. Um, and above it, you have number two was The Leftovers, uh, and number one um, of the decade for drama was The Americans. So yeah. I want to open by asking, 
you know, if you ignore the fact that these final two seasons were not part of the decade and you treat the series as a whole, would you move it in that ranking? Yes. <laughs> Which direction would you move it in the ranking? I think Better Call Saul is not only the last great network TV drama that will ever be exist ever exist. I think Better Call Saul is the greatest network TV drama that has ever existed. Okay. Um, so it's hard for me to say, because again, the best of the decade list, we had to deal with the fact that it was a best of the decade list. So you have to take the, um, you have to take the seasons as they, right. as they aired. So essentially which, we're, ta- we were talking about seasons one to four. Which we punished Breaking Bad for, because I remember we could not include season one. Yeah, season and one and two, I think, two. were both. Um, so, that was, I, so that was one thing I remember that we talked about, the fact that, well, if, yeah, the other seasons were great, but, like, season one is, what, second best season of the show, so it was hard to uh, uh, calculate that. But, yeah, so if I stand by the number three ranking of where we put it in December 2019. Yeah, I for do, the first I four seasons. Yeah. I don't remember if I said it on the episode, but I did believe that if the show actually like nailed the final stretch, that it could achieve a certain level, right? And I fully believe it has nailed the final stretch. Yeah, we'll talk about the final season. I think I want to spend most of the time talking about the final season. I'll just say, uh, you know, even... You know, we didn't talk about this um, on any previous episode. So I'll say when I caught up on the first four seasons of Better Call Saul, I was in full alignment of your ranking of placing it as number three above Better Call Saul. And I think I still stand by that. Um, I would not say that if you take seasons one through four alone, I wouldn't I would definitely not say it's better than the entirety of the leftovers or all six or seven seasons, however many they did the Americans for um, thinking of it as a whole? Oh man, it's tough. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I can't say I like it better than the leftovers as a whole, but obviously I'm highly biased there. Um, maybe the Americans, but I think the point I want to make though is if you look at that top three, here's what I realized when I was watching the finale. This is what I was thinking about: the difference between Better Call Saul, the leftovers, and the Americans. And Breaking Bad and all of the shows below it, even Succession to an extent, um, that decade. The big difference, and I think the thing that made you and I put them at the top three, when they're all like, you know, objective quality cinematography and all that aside, like they're all, all everything on the top 10, I think was phenomenal. But the top three all have something in common. They are shows that as you're watching them, they actually like, reasonably make you think about what they're about on a deeper level. And I can't say that about Breaking Bad. I even said this as I was rewatching, re-listening to our uh, Best of the Decade. I even said my one critique of Breaking Bad is that like, I don't really think it's like really saying anything that meaningful. And you, you chimed in or, you know, saying uh, certainly not the final season. That was just, let's make a great American Western season of television. Um, and, as opposed to Better Call Saul, where they nailed the final season, both in terms of like, as, both in terms of execution, which is a funny choice of words with uh, given one of the episode titles, um, yeah. 
but also, you know, cinematography, especially the last four episodes, um, performances, but also just like, especially in the finale, um, really reflecting on what the show was about um, as a character drama, uh, specifically around uh, Bob Odenkirk's character uh, of Jimmy slash Saul slash Gene. Gene. So I think to summarize, I agree. I think to summarize your point is that what I would say is that a network, uh, not even network, but a long running drama, right? It's, it's a lot of hours that you're spending with the characters and with the story. And you can, it can be by the end of most of them, you're kind of like, why did I just watch 60 hours of this story? Right. And those shows, as you reach towards the end, are as ants, you're realizing, oh, this is why I've spent 50 hours before this watching all these episodes. Every episode I've watched before this episode has contributed to where the story is right now and the meaning and power of what's happening at this moment, right? It's not a, oh, you can skip that type of season show. It's not a, those episodes were filler or didn't really matter. Everything that happened leading up to the last couple of episodes is only amplified by the last couple episodes. Whereas, yeah, I mean, not not only are the those episodes building up and amplifying the finale, but in in Saul's case, I really think the finale elevated the quality of everything before it, especially with the kind of flashbacks that they did, because mm-hmm. it really makes you realize the entire show, you know, throughout it had a consistent theme and message to it, and there was a recurring pattern of uh, Jimmy McGill basically wanting to take the shortcut and the, all of the conversation in the, in the finale about time machines and like his, just the scene between uh, him and uh, uh, Mike at the end uh, talking about how, if he had a time machine, the one thing you would do is go back and invest in Berkshire Hathaway. Um, And, and then he has a similar conversation with uh, we're definitely getting to spoilers by the way. So I should, oh, <laughs> I yeah. should say I mean, that. If uh, we're talking about a series finale of a show, it's a spoiler. Sh- yeah. Episode. So the scene, the scene with, uh, you know, the, the flashback, uh, and the return of Brian Cranston, um, he also talks, he talks about a different thing. He'd go back and, uh, and change with a time machine, but basically both of them are like, he doesn't want to do the work. This was also evident in like all the, earlier seasons and his conversations with his brother, Chuck, Chuck was always, even I remember the scene about Chuck teaching him how to pull paint off uh, or tape off the wall to not ruin the paint uh, and kind of going slowly and side to side to do it right. And then that metaphor just kind of manifested itself throughout the entire thing, all the way up to the finale in which he finally decides to not take the shortcut. He had he had a literal shortcut on serving out his prison sentence in the terms of seven years at a cushy prison and decides finally he's going to kind of have this redemption arc where he decides to do, you know, one thing kind of right. And that is spend a full 86 years in prison for what he uh, what he's done wrong up until that point. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of other stories and shows where the ending is a happy ending sort of and a victory for the main character and it involves the character taking a prison term from seven years to 80 years right i don't i don't don't think there's any story like that 
where not, it, obviously not that literally, but I would say the yeah. Americans is it was a similar finale in that it is a uh, it is technically they escape the law, but they're also you know they lose their children. It's a bit of a yeah, but see, I would argue that's not to me. That wasn't happy. That was melancholy. Yeah, certainly. Right? Yeah, it, it was a this, bitter. It, like you were at the end of the day. I still, at least my perspective, like I still wish, particularly like with their kids, that they could have, as the parents and the kids, could have found a way to be together. Right? Like yeah. the fact that the son is basically scarred for life, and the daughter is just like. I don't even know what she, she just goes, stays, runs away. She, I, don't know, uh, runs away. I mean, she's still drinking vodka in that, uh, that house to this day page. Yeah. So like, to me, that wasn't a happy ending sort of, this was, to me, it's a happy ending. I know it's weird. Cause he's in jail. Yeah, It's true. It's a redemption yeah. arc. Yeah. Yeah. But you're happy because you've spent so many hours and like spiraling down with this character and all you've wanted is just this character to just be good, right? Just be a good person, right? Be capable of doing something not amoral. And he does it finally. And you're just so happy that he was able to do it, even though it costs him 80 years of prison. So yeah, yeah I I th- I think it's a genius ending. I think it's uh, yeah, like there's we could I mean we could go into every all the details. I think the I think the visuals and all that stuff with Vince Gilligan and all that's to be expected, right? Like I'm not trying to minimize it, but it's like that's not what that impressed me, but it's also not the most groundbreaking aspect of the show. I would say, I mean, I wouldn't put it like we're desensitized to it. Like, I certainly, there are still moments, even up to the final episode, like, okay, in the courtroom, for example, when he's going off on his, like, big repentant monologue to tank his case, there is a shot where, as he starts basically mentioning what he did to his brother, they show the shot from behind a... um, an exit sign, a neon, you know, electric uh, exit sign. And you can hear throughout that whole shot, the hum of the electricity, just as he starts to talk about Chuck, who obviously, uh, yeah. Um, electric. Yeah, I remember, but yeah, no, but it even, was- even all the way to the end, they were making like shots that both like were not just fancy for fancy sake, but actually add meaning to the shot. Uh, oh no, it wasn't fancy. I mean, it's literally implying that Chuck, Chuck is like observing this trial. Yeah. Right. Like it's literally it's- like the ghost of Chuck is there. Um, I love the line since we're on that. I love the line when, when he admits that he, the lawyer says like, that wasn't even a crime. Oh, yeah. That's not and, even a crime. <laughs> and, and, and he says like, no, it was yeah, right. It was. And I think that's such a great revelation, right? Where he is not just talking about law in terms of like law and order, what's in the book, what's a statute, whatever he's talking about, like, what is like good. Right. Yeah. What is actually like, what is being good? And yeah, no, I, I mean, the best visual, I mean, to me, that was a good visual, obviously, but I think the best visual is um in the second to last episode where uh, it's the um, Carol Burnett find, finds out, figures out that he's Saul Goodman. Right. 
And so the entire, this entire gene thing is shot in black and white. But then when he looks at the video of the Saul Goodman video and it reflects back into his glasses. Oh, is that color? Yeah, it's the only color in uh, the whole. I didn't actually notice that, but I did see in the in. I I think the best visual of the entire series is the final scene with them smoking, both because it oh, mirrors their color. first. Yeah, yeah, it mirrors Kim their first appearance together uh, in episode one of the entire series, but also the butt of the cigarette is uh, is lit up orange, which is just such a compelling, you know image of like them literally rekindling like their relationship at that point and on a meta level uh, i said this to uh, another friend who i watched the show i love that because literally the second to last episode this show is the definition of a slow burner and the second to last scene is literally two the two main characters slowly burning a cigarette yeah yeah it's perfect. It's so good. Like they, they started the black and white thing from episode one of the entire series. Right. And, and you could just be doing that for the sake of, Oh, I'm going to be artsy and, you know, do cool black and white lighting. Um, but I think they must've had the major arc planned out. Uh, or maybe they didn't, I don't know, but I don't, I don't know if they did, but I, I mean, I think, yeah, Originally, you're just thinking, okay, they're just doing that to establish a visual tone that this is a different timeline than the other, right? Because by the end of it, even if they didn't plan this, I think the black and white was essentially, like, thematically, it was the like the lack of color and enjoyment of life apart right. from Kim, I think. And yeah. so having the color kind of come back in... Um, when she lights the cigarette, it's like the symbolic rekindling of their, you know, yeah. it's it, with, so I think there were only like six lines in that entire like final scene and they totally could have had, you know, a big exchange of words. The writing would be good enough for that. Um, but it was in that case, it was a more powerful scene to leave what was happening unsaid. Yeah, no. And then the visual imaging of him behind cages and her stuff, like it's all the final shot of her standing them being separated and it's yeah i mean yeah visual like yeah the visuals of the show are i'm not top-notch audio mixing camera movement it's all there i think though before uh, we haven't really actually we've talked a lot about all that stuff we haven't at the end of the day talked about i think probably the most important element that makes all of it work and it's not the writing it's not the cinematography but the acting and the chemistry of the two main leads at the end of the day i think is like without that everything else is great but it's bob odenkirk and rias are it's their individual performances of their characters and scenes isolated are fantastic and then somehow their chemistry together matches that. So like in every single scene with one of them or both of them, there's just this enamored quality that to your point, they could just be literally sharing a cigarette and it's the most like enticing thing to watch. Yeah. It's also weird. Cause like, I don't think even, even in the Americans, like there was at least some, element of like sexuality in the like main relationship lead, but like they didn't really have or rely on any of that uh, in the series. It was such a, like an interesting and compelling couple that managed to convey 
chemistry without relying on like even romance at all. Yeah, I mean, I think they they share a few kisses, but that's about it. Yeah, like yeah, um, I don't think they don't show them being that intimate really ever. Um, and in addition, obviously, in addition to Odenkirk, Odenkirk and Seahorn, um, especially in the final season, just like the 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 supporting cast is stacked. I mean, oh, it's all not stacked. even not even like Giancarlo Esposito, but like you got Michael Mando and um, uh, who plays um, who plays Lalo? It's Tony something, right? Yeah, Tony Dalton. Tony Dalton yeah. and and uh, uh, Michael Mando as Nacho. By the way, think about that. The last this is like this is what's I don't like I can't even I can't even begin. Like I could literally just rant for six hours. The last four episodes of this season of the show are so amazing. And they do that despite the fact that they killed off what everyone had <laughs> said was their favorite character of the show. Right. Name me a show where they kill off the favorite character four episodes before the series finale and the show actually gets better. Yeah. Um, Also, we didn't even mention, I mean, the actor who plays Howard Hamlin also was phenomenal, but uh, I assume you're talking about, wait, actually, are you talking about Nacho or or Lalo? Lalo, Lalo. Okay. Yeah. He's my favorite character. I think a lot of people like Nacho. They also kill him off in this season. Yeah. Early in the season. They killed both of them. They killed Nacho. It was still great. They killed Howard. It was still great. They killed Lalo. It was still great. Like, they killed those three characters, and the show never lost a step. It was amazing. Every episode afterwards was actually building. I don't think that's... I just... I cannot think of a show that just did that at the end like that, where it got better, despite the fact that it was killing off fan favorite characters yeah and it's the testament to the fact that the show had such a strong fundamental visual writing all that core had such a strong core story with Bob Odenkirk and Rhea and um Jimmy and Kim but and I think that's what elevates Better Call Saul is that the fact that all the minor plots the minor characters the secondary stuff is at the same level of everything else to me is what elevates, right? Like if, if I look at Breaking Bad, this is a classic example, but like the entire, every single scene with Marie and the stupid shoplifting subplot. Yeah. I, anyone who tries to defend that is just, no, like that's a dumb subplot. Marie is really not that great of a character, Right. Breaking Bad, I mean, sorry, Better Call Saul does not have that. It doesn't have a weak secondary character mm-hmm. or subplot. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, like, there are plenty of shows that I think are phenomenal, and uh, there's one that comes to mind. I don't know if you've seen For All Mankind yet, but uh, there are certainly shows that are in, like, the top of what's on TV right now that just obviously you have to brush aside some of the uh, – some of the subplot, even the first season, the leftovers, honestly, I kind of like forget that there's a whole, there's a whole, uh, plot line with, I mean, the thing about that is it all comes together in the, that season, but there's definitely some like weak stuff that you just kind of forget about. And then when you rewatch it, you're like, Oh yeah, I completely forgot about this whole thing. Um, but better call Saul definitely doesn't have that. Like every season kind of has its weird subplots that get dropped, but like, they're all 
riveting. Like even the whole thing with Mike and the Germans digging the, I forget what season that is, but uh, like, that was awesome. That was compelling as hell. Like, and then even like, it's so compelling that they can spend a whole episode with, uh, with Lalo going back to Germany just to like find that guy's widow. And yeah, it's like everything about this show uh, is just like oozes quality. It, It really does feel like it's like the breaking bad team spent, five seasons of breaking bad learning how to work with each other and became like got to the pinnacle of their game and like did a whole other show. And then it shows the quality and, of it and how well they work together is amazing. And that's, I mean, people, a lot of my friends, a lot of people who have said it's better than breaking bad, they don't believe it because they haven't watched it. And I'm like, you don't get it. Imagine breaking bad, but they realize everything they did wrong and they just made it and everything yeah. they did right, they made better and everything yeah, yeah. they did wrong. They don't do anymore. Like it's, that's it's what my same argument. Is. It's my same argument with the leftovers and lost. It's Damon Lindelof fixing the mistakes yeah. of lost. That's a good, that's a good, that's actually a very good comparison. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a very good comparison actually. Cause that's the same thing where I think a lot of people who watch lost would not believe that leftovers is better. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like, a lot so lost was from a generation where there are so many, like I can't even count the number of subplots and lost that were just no, awful, but yeah. that was, that was where the days of 24 season or 24 right. episode seasons. Yeah. Um, but and think probably about that, trying but, to go for 24 seasons. Better call Saul was not a streaming thing. It still had a lot of episodes for a season. I think that's the other thing that's so impressive. Right, I'm trying to. I'm, I'm looking up exactly how many episodes it had. It, it's actually uh, it's actually similar to Breaking Bad. So even though it was, uh, I looked at this uh, when it was kind of ending. Um, this season was the only one that went up to thirteen. The first season of Better Call Saul was only like seven. Oh, ten. Uh, yeah, okay. And then the yeah. rest were all ten. So Breaking Bad, again, coming from a previous era, they weren't like quite as bad as like twenty episode seasons. But most of their five seasons were like thirteen or above. They were above ten for the most part, except for I think the first one. Um, better, yeah. Better Call Saul ran for more seasons, but fewer episodes each. So they both round out at about sixty three or sixty four episodes. Um, I'm going to credit uh, a friend of mine, Matt, who pointed this out, um, and I want to hear if you agree with this, Shams. Could could Better Call Saul be the best prequel of anything, all time, mm. any medium? Okay. Um, yes, and okay. So this is okay. This is the answer is I, I have to think. All right, let me, I'm trying to think. Prequels. I, this is what I did. I tried to think of one, and I can't think of a better prequel. The problem is, because frankly, most of them are bad. Obviously, so it's a low bar. Okay, but you, okay. Here's the thing, though. Technically, this is a prequel sequel. That is true. Yes, um, and the ending only works because of the sequel element, not the prequel element. Yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Right, um, and if if, if you th- if you consider that the Godfather Part Two is also a prequel sequel. Okay, is it? Yeah, because half the movie is about Vito Corleone before Godfather Part 1, and the other half is about uh, Michael Corleone after Godfather Part 1. Well, here's the the question I pose to you. Is Better Call Saul better than The Godfather Part 2? No, okay, that, I won't go there, all right? (laughs) No, Godfather Part 2 is like the second best movie of all time. And the only reason why it's the second best movie of all time is because Godfather Part 1 is the best movie of all time. So no. No. All right, but, I tried. 
But in terms of outside of that one p- potential scenario, yes, I would. My initial reaction is yes, it would be the best. I think the bulk of it, though, is still a prequel, and I can't. Yeah, so it's the best predominantly prequel show. Yes. I can't think of another prequel that is both as good in actual quality and also, I think Better Call Saul's existence actually makes Breaking Bad better. Like, at least, like, more valuable. <laughs> no, that's the crazy. I was saying that before, I was like, it actually, by the end of it, I'm actually like, okay, Breaking Bad is better. Like, you actually need to watch both to fully get maximize yeah. the story. That was another question I was going to ask you because until this season, you know, people I've been telling people about Better Call Saul, and they're like, "Oh, I haven't seen Breaking Bad, and do I do I need to watch Breaking Bad?" Blah blah blah. And I was like, up until this season, I was like, actually, no. Like there were seasons of it where I almost think it would be better if you just were watching Better Call Saul and hadn't seen Breaking Bad. But obviously, like, I think the final season does somewhat hinge on having seen Breaking Bad, which arguably I think is that I would say that is the one weakness in Better Call Saul is it's not standalone. It is required that you have knowledge and connection from another show. So it's since it's not standalone, I would say that's just one nick in the armor. Um, But here's my question to you. In Star Wars, you have this whole machete order debate over the ideal order to watch things in and which, you know, what to skip in the prequels. Let's ignore the seven, eight, and nine, obviously. So there's this whole debate about that. So what is your machete order for the Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and El Camino universe? Okay, so are you assuming in this scenario that all the gene scenes that were shown in the earlier episodes you don't watch? I know. I'm just saying there are now two TV shows and a pseudo movie thing. Right. But you can't watch, because the problem is if you watch Better Call Saul, you already know the ending through the gene. That's that's what I'm saying is so you can cut this up any way you want. You could do purse. You can do, you know, season one of, of Better Call Saul, then season one of Breaking Bad. What if you just alternate? There's you could do it per episode. Like, do you watch? So like, I think you watch it, all I, of Better Call Saul at, up until like season six, uh, episode, so, what is it, eight? And then watch all of Breaking Bad and then come back and watch the final four episodes. Like, what would you do if someone yeah, had never so, seen any of it? Uh, so I think it's an interesting question, right? Because obviously the creators of Better Call Saul wrote it with the understanding that its core audience watched Breaking Bad, right? So the way they wrote certain things like it's with that perspective. Right. So it's like, yeah. so it's hard to do it this way. I would, like, I, I think would, the whole German scene, like the, all the German subplot in better call Saul obviously hinged upon you having a connection to the, the laundromat super lab. Right. Um, so like, I think if you were to cut it up, you'd have to do it in a clever way where you watch enough of breaking bad to like, see the, like probably, I think that's like season four where they, get into the the super lab so you'd have to make sure that they see season four before they see whichever season of better call Saul that's in i think it's three is that three or four but anyway we should we should so, figure this hey, out hey, and publish okay, it now, here's okay I, I have the answer i have the answer okay. i just thought okay you start with breaking bad season one okay okay then i forget when Saul comes into the picture right um well so it's 
uh, yeah, I, I forget. Let me look it up. I know it's, I know the episode of Breaking Bad is called Better Call Saul because they, they interspersed. This was another great thing about the last season is episode 11 titled Breaking Bad is basically intertwined with the events of the episode of Breaking Bad that was titled Better Call Saul. And it ends with him knocking or about to knock on the door, go into meet um, Walter White in the school, which starts off all the events. So Um, here's, so yeah, here's what I would propose. If I could edit everything, all the, any individual scene and stuff. Okay. You start with Breaking Bad normal. So season one's normal. Then you get to whenever Saul's about to enter, right? And you literally, at that moment, watch the entire Okay, it's the, I got it. It's the eighth episode of season two of, of Breaking Bad. Okay. It's Bob Odenkirk's first appearance. So, yeah. So what I would suggest is that you watch episode one of Breaking Bad. Then you get to that point and you watch all the Better Call Saul stuff, not including the Gene thing, right? So you get the backstory of Saul, Mike, everything, right? So like you're watching Breaking Bad and then all of a sudden you're like, okay, now let's go back in time five, six years. And then you see, whoa, there's this entire other thing going on in the background that Walt had no idea about. And then you go back to that season two, you have that information and then all of a sudden, you see Saul and you're like, holy shit, it's Saul Goodman. And then you see the twins and then you see Mike and you see Los Poyos Romanos. And yeah, it's yeah. like, oh my God, like it's all connecting to it, right? And then you kind of go through Breaking Bad as usual, right? And then it ends up Breaking Bad. You watch El Camino and then you watch all the black and white Better Call Saul stuff as the end. Are there... Are there spoilers for Breaking Bad in the like, not the last four episodes, obviously, but the like the little, you know, cold opens of every season? Do they spoil well, Breaking Bad? Yeah, well, that's what I'm you saying. You need to cut those out. No, you have to cut this out because you can't, you, you're not supposed to know what happens. To, but you, that's what I'm saying is there's not actually spoilers to Breaking Bad as a whole. There's just there's just you would know that you would know that somehow uh Saul ends up in Nebraska in black and white for some reason which i think might make it more interesting yeah that's a good yeah i could go either way on that i just don't but. remember if there's like if they refer to like the the like Walter dying or something i, I don't think they yeah. do i don't you you may be right but i i, I just like the idea of Starting Breaking Bad, thinking it's just this show about this high school guy, high school teacher turned chemist, turned drug dealer, right? Yeah. I like the idea of starting with that and then kind of pausing it and saying, oh, there's this entire backstory, back huge world, right? Building that up and then realizing, holy shit, like... I'm actually watching like a collision of like two different things. And yeah. then I, I like then because then the entire thing ends with Saul going to jail. And like I said, to me, it's a happy ending. So throughout you watch this entire saga mm-hmm. and then at the ending is someone in jail. And it's like, yeah. that's the right ending for this entire saga. 
I'm also just thinking of how great it would be to watch Better Call Saul the way that it ends with, um, uh, or the way the last time you see uh, Hector Salamanca, uh, but then also get to after that see what happens with the him and uh, Gus storyline and how that ends in the, the face off episode. Well, did you notice that Gus's final scene is interesting, right? Because like Gus's final scene in Breaking Bad, he's dead, right? It's like him blown up dead, right? But Gus's final scene in Better Call Saul, I think, is actually more um, powerful because it shows... The lion scene? Yeah. Yeah. That's his last scene in the show and essentially the last scene of you'll we will ever see of... Um, of uh, whatchamacallit. Of, um, yeah, because you, know, you know what... I mean, knowing what happens to him, that scene is more powerful. Right. Exactly. Like, that scene is so powerful because you're like... He like this guy is just he's got nothing in the end, yeah. right? He's he's building all this stuff, but he really he has. Could have got, just gone and been a, a wine expert or something and escaped all of this, but instead, yeah, built so, a super lab under a laundromat and got blown up. It also just it also see it, it would see because if you watch those scenes before you go deep into season three of breaking bad right then every scene in the lab and breaking bad you're just like oh my god they're stomping over lalos and Howard's yeah. dead bodies yeah all right um so yeah like it's interesting right i mean like i said i think it's hard just from the fact that unlike lucas they didn't plan all this out from the get-go, right? Like, they didn't plan Better Call Saul from when they started Breaking Bad, right? So it's really hard, I think, to do that. Whereas with Star Wars, in theory, Lucas thought of everything. So, like, you can argue that there's a certain right way. But I think in this Wait, one... what? No, because, like, that Lucas... That can't had possibly already... be true. What do you mean? No, Lucas had already made the story... Outline. For the prequels? Yeah. You mean when he made... What? I've never yeah. heard this, and I don't believe that for a second. Yeah. I'm not saying I don't believe you. I'm saying I don't believe him if that's something he said. That's bullshit. He had the backstory of, like, where did Anakin come from? Like, how did Anakin... Oh, sure, become- sure. I believe at a high level, but, like, there's no way he had the, uh, the like, arc No, fine, but he had that... Like whereas, like, Saul... They've said that they never had this huge backstory to him when they created the character. Yeah, yeah. It was something that as Breaking Bad went on, they're like, maybe it'd be interesting to explore how this character comes to exist in the first. Like, how do you have a guy like this exist, right? So, like, the point is, is that Saul was just a character they created, but they didn't think too much of the background. Yeah. Lucas did think that there was a backward, like Lucas had the idea of like the clone wars and there was a Republic before and Jedi, like he had all that backstory technically built into it. Right. So I'm saying it's a bit different. Whereas this one, everything in better call Saul was done after thinking of breaking Bad. So I think you have to watch. I think if I was recommending it to someone in real life, I would just say, watch all of breaking bad. And then watch Better Call Saul. All right. Well, 
Okay, I think we've said enough about Better Call Saul, and I'm sure we're gonna maybe rant more if we do an episode after the uh, after none of them win Emmys um, next month. You know, I so. think th- well, I don't think they're gonna win this time. I think they may win next year. Yeah, it's a little weird because the eligibility window is basically like the last couple episodes. I think this is the actual last chance for um, uh, Michael Mando or um, uh, or Tony Dalton to win, and I don't think they were nominated. I forget. Um, yeah, well, I don't Tony think they Dalton were. was technically in the episode. Uh, one episode. Oh yeah, this. he was. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. Um, Actually, wait. Quick question: When does the voting end for the Emmys? I think the voting. Oh, I don't know when the voting ends, but because uh, I think it's still going. I think it's interesting that I think technically the Emmys are supposed to be for the first couple of episodes. Right. Well, it's actually it's the first. It's everything that aired before June, so it's really the entire first part. And that's what I'm saying. It's not. It's everything before June, right? Yeah. But the point is, is that I think the reaction to the last. Yeah, they don't. Episodes, they don't pay attention to the uh, the exact episode cut. Right. So I actually think that the buzz around the show. I wouldn't be shocked if Bob wins. Oh, so it's actually, yeah, it's the first part. Everything up to plan and execution is technically eligible, but. The right. last uh, six episodes, obviously, are. Um, I'm actually gonna say this. No, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and. Do you think I need crazy. to update Miami predictions because uh, they're up online right now, and I don't, and I don't think I picked. Uh, I put Bob Odenkirk should win, but I don't think. I think Bob Odenkirk's gonna win. I'm okay, just gonna you're going say for that. Yeah, because a he had the heart attack thing. B it's the most buzzy show going into it, right? I think succession guys will hurt each other. Uh, I don't. Possible. Yeah, because Brian Cox is the. Uh, yeah, that's that's possible. I, think I have Squid it as Game a Brian lost. Brian Cox. Uh, Brian Cox as my prediction. Um, Squid Game is my could win, and Bob Odenkirk is my should win. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Bob Odenkirk will shock and win. Yeah. The I also have like the same thing. I have Julia Garner's my prediction for supporting actress. Sarah Snook's my could win, and Ray Seahorn is my should win. Mm, I yes. actually wonder if the odds. Uh, this is a huge rabbit hole. Obviously, we could wrap up, but um, I was just wondering if the actual odds on Gold Derby have changed after uh, um, after Monday's also, finale. Why is she? I mean, I'm glad she got nominated, but why is she a support? She should, she's a lead actress in the show. Oh, Sarah? No, Rhea. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, <laughs> yeah. I also don't know why Julia Garner is in supporting, but whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they thought she had a better chance of winning in that category, but um, I don't think so because honestly, Zendaya is the front runner for lead actress. So Ray probably would win if she was. Nominated for, uh, Dude, yeah. I, I, I'm just gonna Bob, say I will say Bob Odenkirk has, has slightly more uh, critics and um, and like top voters on Gold Derby than the last time I looked at this website. So I think it's gonna matter. Clearly, some people are changing their votes. All right. Well, let's wrap up. Um, it's been like nine months since I asked you this question. So I have no idea what you're going to say, but um, what is the best show you've watched since we did a last episode? Not including Better Cross Souls. Other than, yeah, other than what we talked about, obviously. Uh, You may hate me. Uh, Actually, I don't know if you'll hate me. Uh, I really did. I really did like Severance. Yeah. 
I'm okay. still mad we didn't do an episode for that because it's sitting at number one on my list for this year. I, I really like Severance. The only issue I have with Severance is that I am very worried about the second. Like, I like the first season. I was hoping for yeah, the first season. Yeah, I thought it was a limited series, and now I'm terrified yeah. that they'll do they'll do something crazy. But um, I, I'm terrified as it became too successful, and they're going to now try to create some like complex yeah. story mega. Yeah, they're going to. You think they're going to pull a Westworld? Yeah, exactly. Literally it. Which, yeah. by the way, totally did not realize still existed. <laughs> yeah, I just watched season four because someone told me it got good again. Spoiler alert, it did not. I I, I saw a thing. I was like, Westworld exists still? Um, season four just finished and it was real bad. Real yeah. bad. Se- Westworld is actually the perfect comparison because talk about amazing first seasons that you're like... I don't know if this should actually be that long of a show. Yeah, Severance definitely has the potential to go the Westworld route. And it was it wasn't even a slow decline like or sorry, it wasn't an immediate season 2 failure with Westworld. It was a slow decline where every season has just been like slightly I mean, well not slightly, but like I would say like a full letter grade down. If it, yes. it went from like an A to a B to a C, and I think it's still it's staying at a C minus. Well, no, no. Actually, season three was a season three was a D. I think season four genuinely did get better than season three, but it was like still C minus territory. So, anyway, okay. Since you said Severance, I'm gonna I'll, you you opened the floor for me to say the Bear because I would have said Severance. Oh, I like the Bear too, yeah. but I like Severance. So here's the thing: I like the those bear. two are like neck and neck. I have to decide by end of year which one's actually getting the number one spot. So I, I like the Bear. My only issue with the Bear is that again i wish it wasn't so successful because oh, i think it was also think, yeah it's also going to season two when yeah it i think it was it was a great standalone season yeah. story but like, the, thing, the thing about the bear though is if they do a season two and it's bad you can still tell people to just watch season one like you can with like you know like uh house of cards season one and two you could totally just like watch yeah. just those two and not continue and that's almost the true with westworld but it's definitely not true with severance like you cannot no. severance you cannot is say, like no if severance screws it up there's no world in which i'm recommending someone just watch season one correct it's it's too yeah no um yeah uh okay cool we're we're on the same page then about the top two uh of the year because i have my list on my screen right now and those are number those are top hey. two and it's gonna be hard for something to break past that. i think Amazingly, we've we've talked the least amount in this entire stretch and since we started the podcast. And we're the most and aligned. We're, and we're the most aligned that we've ever been. We love all right. all. We love the bear. We love Severance. It doesn't get better than that, everybody. <laughs> so we're gonna leave it here and we can come. We'll maybe we'll be less aligned after after the end of the Emmys. Uh probably. But yeah. All right, Shams. I'll see you again, hopefully before nine months from now. For Later, sure. everyone. Bye.